you need to be just as specific about the impact you have on customers as you are about your own internal metrics. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about what it means to have a noble purpose in business and why it goes beyond improving just the financial returns of the organization. To help us, we're lucky to have with us Lisa McLeod, best-selling author of Selling with Noble Purpose and founder of McLeod More. Lisa, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. Thanks. A pleasure to be here, Chad. So we always like to start with like an icebreaker question, something a little off the <laughs> off the cuff, kind of always curious to know people put a lot of time into their, you know, public persona and all that stuff, but curious to know something you're really passionate about that those that might only know you through work might be surprised to learn. People might be surprised to learn how much I care about the experience that young people have going into the world of work. Nice. And it shows up kind of on the edges of my work. But when I think about a young person in their very first job, that sets the tone for what work is going to be like for you. Absolutely. And what a lot of people don't realize, when you set the tone for what work is going to be like for a young person, you also set the tone for what life is going to be like. And the way they experience that job is going to have a dramatic effect on not only their ambition, their career success, but also the way they are in partnership, if they have a partner, and the way they parent eventually. Yeah, I love it. That That is uh, probably the, one of the most interesting I've heard in a while that has a nice ancillary benefit across the entire spectrum of our existence. I remember, unfortunately, my transition from college to work. And I remember, and it's vi- burned vividly in my head for some reason. We're talking, I mean, those that can't see me, these are platinum highlights in my goatee. These are not gray hairs. Um, the first job I got, I was really into music and it was working for a magazine and I had an account executive look at me and say, that's cute. You will no longer have time to enjoy anything associated with the arts. And he was rather aggressive about it. Mm-hmm. And it just stuck in my head. I was like, I don't think I want to work with him <laughs> or in any type of right. organization like that. Well, and so many people, sadly, and, and it does relate to my work, but people are often surprised to know that this is like a, an emotional trigger for me. So many people in that first job get the feeling, I'm working for the man. Uh-huh. You know, there's been all kinds of songs written about it. <laughs> and in reality, that's often not the case. Like that magazine or that, you know, we work with biotech, we work in construction. A lot of times these companies really are improving lives for customers, but that first job is so far removed from that. You can get very jaded and it is, it breaks my heart because it is a lost opportunity on behalf of the employer and also the young person starting their job. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. All right. So let's start with a definition from a business perspective of what we mean when we say noble purpose. Let's set some context for the conversation. People often think that noble purpose is reserved for the doctors, the teachers, the nurses, or the big sexy companies. (laughs) In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. Your noble purpose is simply 
how do you make a difference to your customers? And when you put that at the fore of your business, everything changes. The challenge is a lot of organizations have these aspirational purposes, but when it comes down to sales, it's show me the money. And this is a lost opportunity. Well, and you mentioned, as we were prepping, you mentioned that sales uh, organizations with a, a noble purpose often outperform those that don't have one or maybe are too focused on the show me the money aspect. Can you go a little bit deeper in that for me? That's right. And the thing you have to understand is purpose drives profit, not the other way around. A lot of people think we'll make enough money and then we'll be a good corporate citizen. <laughs> uh, the purpose that I'm talking about is not good corporate citizenry. I'm all for that and bravo you and I'd encourage that. But what we've identified, the research tells us that organizations whose noble purpose is to improve the lives of their customers and who put that at the center of their organization outperform the market by over 350% Ooh. because they are laser focused on customers. And there's a nuance here that I want to be really clear on that a lot of people think well, we want to be a customer centric organization. We want to do right by our customers. That's good. That's better than saying, you know, we want to be a bunch of jerks. But where we go is one step further, and that is clarity about the impact you have on customers. So it's not just about pleasing your customers. It's about improving your customers. And it's a really crucial difference. Well, and so let's go a little bit deeper on that. When we say improving the customer, are we talking improving quality of life, educational landscape? Or like, what is that? What are some of those metrics or aspects that when we look at the improvement of the, of the customer really resonate with the organizations? So what you have to do when you are finding your noble purpose is choose your aim and your lane. And so I'll give you an example. One of our clients is a bank. And their purpose is we fuel prosperity. So imagine the difference. You have all these, and we've all seen the bad bank salespeople. Imagine, <laughs> yeah, perhaps you've been yes, a victim we, of them yes, yourself. Yes, we have. <laughs> and some of them have even made consistently the front page of the yes. Wall Street Journal. <laughs> so, but imagine if instead your boss said, our purpose here is to fuel the client's prosperity. So that means we need to figure out what does prosperity mean to that client? How can we improve it? And it seems simple, but what you do when you do that is you change the North Star of the sales organization. And so we had another um, organization, they were in the concrete business and their purpose was we're going to redefine this industry. And they had some very specific ways they were going to redefine the way customers experience them. And what it does is it points your people because mo most of the time in business, we point people to specificity on the numbers, but vagueness on the customer experience. And you need to be just as specific about the impact you have on customers as you are about your own internal metrics. When organizations have been investing, whether they have the right focal point or not, right? You go back to you know Amazon and, and Virgin Atlantic, like Disney even, they've all mm -hmm. used this customer experience approach. What is really interesting is that that to me seems like a means to the end of fulfilling a purpose rather than the end itself. And most organizations have a tendency to use customer experience as the end goal. That's what we're after. It sounds like what we're talking about is going one step further, getting more specific about not just, hey, I made it to this point, but this is the impact 
getting to this point had not only on my organization, but my customer base as well. Is that a fair assessment? That is. And, and so I'll give you an example of how this plays out. One of our clients was provided IT services to small businesses, CMIT. They were pretty well known. They were in the news about this. And imagine the difference between them when the leader says, okay, Chad, you're going to go out and call on this small business. You need to find out how are they measuring success? How are we going to improve it? How are we going to move the needle for this small business? Go get them, Chad. <laughs> Versus your competitor that the boss says, Chad, you need to go close this deal right now. Sounds good, but who would you rather have calling on you? The person whose organization has said, improve life for the customer, find the biggest, boldest, best way you can do that and go to town with it versus the person that said, close it, close it, close it. The data tells us, a very famous study now at Michigan State University, the person who was told make a difference to the customer will sell a bigger deal, they'll sell a stickier deal, and they will have more tenacity in the face of setbacks. Well, that's because I, I would I would assume, I mean, I'm very much the same way, right? So if I'm not passionate about, I, it can help you solve this problem, or we can drive these types of impacts for your org or your customers, somebody just driving me going close, 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 that's going to come across in the way I present myself, my word choice, the channels in which I reach out mm -hmm. to you and what I say in those things. It really could be, I could see situations where it could be detrimental to the brand as a whole, not only of the individual sales rep, but of the organization that they're representing. That's right. We, we were dealing with um, a client of ours who's chief revenue officer for a global firm. And when everyone went virtual, you know, they, like everyone else, is worried about the revenue. But this particular chief revenue officer had the wherewithal. He came to us and said, I want my people to be seen as helpful, not scavengers. And that is exactly it. Because the thing you have to understand is the internal conversation becomes the external conversation. And if your internal conversation is only about how can we close it, how can we close it, you haven't given your salespeople anything compelling or interesting to take to the market. And it's going to show up in every little way that they behave with customers. Yeah. It, and I think it goes even beyond just the, the customer approach. It very much is that human to human, like you need to be curious about what that other person is experiencing. You need to be able to understand what they're, what problems they're trying to solve. And if you're ethical, which I know some people would challenge some salespeople on that part, but if you're ethical, you have to be willing to admit that they could be focused on things you can't help them with right now and that that's okay. That it's just not some. It's not going to make any sense to jam the you know square square peg into the round hole. It really is That's about right. making sure you understand where they're at. When we did the research for selling with noble purpose for the second edition, so I wrote the first book about eight years ago, and then we implemented this with over two dozen firms. And we saw huge exponential growth in revenue, and they're all outlined in there. But one of the things that was really interesting when we were researching the second edition and we were identifying the habits of the salespeople that were the top performers. So the first thing we identified, first blush, was they have a purpose bigger than money and customer impact is their end game. But the second thing, this was super interesting, was they had the ability to sit with uncertainty. And it was because they had enough confidence that I can probably help most customers. 
So we can get into a conversation about what their needs are and where they're going. And I'm pretty confident that in most cases, I will be able to help these people. So that gave them the capacity. And if you've ever been with a salesperson who was like, oh my God, oh my God, this conversation's going wrong. I've got to close it. It's, it's so obvious, the customer. But this, this one North Star bigger than money, what we call the noble purpose, pointed them in a different direction. And then this second skill, the ability to sit with uncertainty made their sales calls so much more collaborative. Well, and that's not a skill set that a lot of salespeople have. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I joke with some of our clients, you know, sales, salespeople typically have really, really, really big egos, but they're very fragile. And uncertainty becomes one of those places where you can kind of shake the foundation, right? It shows up. It's, it's one of those things where, there's this sense of control. Now, the question for me would be, is the way that my organization is structured and or targeting me as a sales rep, is the internal comp plan processes, internal, you know, day to day, is that what is impacting the way I am perceived by uh, my customers? Or can an individual sales rep, even in the face of all of that, still identify something closer to a noble purpose for themselves and still be effective in that maelstorm of kind of historical performance? Right. So yes and yes. In most organizations, the infrastructure, we call it the sales ecosystem, pulls the seller towards the transactional. Everything they see on the CRM, when are you going to close it? When are you (laughs) going to close it? Everything, boss sits you down, when are you going to close it? How much is it going to be? All those things are fine, but in the absence of any other larger story, they will take precedence. But to your point, can an individual seller, here's what we found that the top tier performers, the top 10%, it didn't matter what their organization was doing. They held on to this North Star of I'm here to make a difference to customers no matter what. And so so what that tells us is that's good news for individual sellers because the individual seller and what we did in the new version of the book was we made some really practical models for individual sellers to get your mindset right. Because we've, we've all been in that organization where maybe everything's going negative and a couple people still say, no, here's what we can do. You know, it, we've all seen where individual mindset can supersede what's happening in the organization. So that's the good news for individual sellers. The good news for organizations is when we looked at what we call the malleable middle, the people most heavily influenced by the manager, the CRM, the executive language. When we looked at those folks, what we found was noble purpose was not innate to them, but it still could be taught. Excellent. That they could they could learn it. So that means you can learn it on your own, or ideally, your whole organization will do it. Yeah, I mean, ideally, it would be great. I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want catastrophic change in my life. <laughs> but if we had a change management approach that made it organizational, and when you work with an organization, let's say you go in, I'm assuming you got to start with some assessment, understand where they're mm-hmm. at now. But what are the first areas that you see need to be touched, evolved, shifted? Where, where do you see the first, where's the first sign that, that we're off track? One of the first signs is when we look at how the sales meetings are run and how executive town halls are run. And when we look at the language of those, if all of that language is pointed internal 
and there's no stories or examples of how we're improving life for customers, we know not only is that organization in danger, but we also know this is a fast, easy fix. (laughs) Because if you are selling something that people are buying, they're getting some improvement off it. You've got some customer impact stories there. We know that they're there. We just have to find them and start telling them. I want to go back to something that you said, though, that I want to challenge folks on. This belief that people don't wake up and want change. Because we have this belief that nobody wants change. If that was true, no one would get married and no one would ever have a baby. (laughs) What What we don't want is we don't want some change enacted by senior leadership that has no benefit for us. And and so one of the things that we lead with when we go into an organization is rather than starting with, oh, this is how we're going to make more money. This is how we're going to do this. What we lead with is, and it's true, is this is how you're going to enjoy your job more. And this is how you're going to better connect with customers in a way that's more meaningful. And instead of sitting at home feeling like all you do is just hassle people for money, we want to create some meaning and happiness in your job. It's just the same reason people have a baby, not because they go sign me up for late nights, but because they think, oh, this is going to be something that I'm going to get some joy out of. And so that's one of the problems with so much of the change is that companies give the business reason for it. And they think all the minions will come along. Instead, we want to lead with, here's the win for you. Right. Because the money follows the meaning. And that's hard for a lot of organizations. I mean, that's a hard, that's a hard shift for an organizational structure, depending on the generational spread. Uh, yeah. You know, all the stereotypes exist for a reason, right? So the, <laughs> the generational spread can make it challenging because the generations that are typically going to be in those mid-level roles at this point, mm-hmm. they're probably going to respond to that a lot more effectively and with less skepticism than those who may be and I know this is a huge overgeneralization, so bear with me, audience. But those at the top probably have a little bit more gray hair and probably a little bit more skeptical just from an upbringing standpoint. That's right. How do you bring them all together? How do you get them all on the same page? So you've got to meet people where they are. And as someone who is older, who camouflages her gray hair with hair, <laughs> um, this, what I had to finally bring together in my own life was the connection between the money and the meaning. So I grew up in sales. I'm ex-Procter & Gamble sales. I ran a sales leadership consultancy firm before I started my own firm. And the idea of making money is thrilling to me. It's so <laughs> exciting to me. Because when, when you, if, if you've ever been in a company that wasn't making money, it's horrible. Yeah. You're worried about it every night. You, you know, depending on how big or small, you can't make payroll, you got to fire, but it's awful. And so what we've got to do, what we do when we go in with senior leaders is we show them the clear data about why embracing this noble purpose will make you more money. Because that's, you've got to meet people where they are. It's the same model you need to follow customers. If senior leaders are looking at this P&L and looking at this pipeline and saying, how can you affect this? We got to meet them where they are. Other people are saying, please make my job better. You got to meet them where they are. And I, and I do want to be clear. This is not a magic bullet that in one quarter will make you more money. But what we've consistently seen is in the course of 12 months. I mean, we've had some clients double revenue. And it, 
and the thing the thing that I would ask is I use a really simple example is imagine a salesperson's being coached and one leader says, when are you going to close it and how much is it going to be in the pre-call planning? And another leader says, when are you going to close it? How much is it going to be? And then after they ask that, they ask, how will this customer be different as a result of doing business with us? Yeah, it's a subtle shift and powerful, very powerful from what, mm-hmm. you know, what that rep walks away from. Do you That's find why you ask it last? <laughs> right. Because it's the one thing you want. It's the it's the primary yeah. focal point, right? So they're always going to remember yeah. that one last. Do you do you find that reps struggle sometimes to answer that question? They do, which is why it's so important to ask it. So we call it the game-changing question. How will the customer be different as a result of doing business with us? And when you ask a seller that early in their sales process, they do struggle. And that tells you, we got to do some discovery here. If you're asking them that before they're about to make their big pitch, that means, whoa, (laughs) we don't have a very compelling pitch. But what we find in organizations that where we coach the sales managers, and again, this isn't a big leap. Ask all your normal pipeline questions. Just insert this one at the end. What we find is that shifts everyone's mind. You know, we, we often tell, you know, mindset and language, we often think are these fluffy things, <laughs> but mindset and language in sales is everything because your customer's mindset and the language they use with you is a tell about how they feel about you. And so what you're doing when you ask, how will the customer be different as a result of doing business with us? You're flipping the salesperson's mindset. Instead of being pointed over here in the East, they're pointed towards the North now, right. customer impact. And then the language that they use to describe it, that's the language you want on the sales call. So that's why we call it the game-changing question. When we work with companies over the course of a year or so, when they introduce new products, every new product that comes out is, everyone wants to know, how will the customer be different as a result of this product? We're going to tell you. That changes your product launches. Yeah, it it has wide-reaching effects on the entire mm-hmm. organization, structurally and prospectively. But it also then lends itself to, it removes the transactional nature of the sale, which is, I think, where one of the things that you'd mentioned was that transactional sales is dead. And so if I'm not just focused on the transaction, I'm focused on the outcome of the customer, how they will be different, if we're yeah. using that game-changing question, is that what you mean when you say transactional sales are dead, or is there something else that, that I'm missing? That's what I mean. And I want to be clear. Uh, People mean different things by different things. A transactional sale is a sale where the customer places no value on you. Ah, I like that definition. Yeah. So (laughs) I can go to a fast food place and it can be transactional or I can go to a fast food place and it can, I can, it can be more than transactional. I can buy a multi-million dollar system and it can be very transactional or it can be more. And what we know is if the, the customer places no value on you, the person, the company doing business with them, and the sole value is on the functionality of your product, you're going to be dead in the water because that deal is going to go up for bid the next year. Yeah. That deal is going to come down to price. Even if you've got the coolest functionality in the world, your competition's going to have it. And so if you, your salespeople are selling very transactionally feature function, you're in big trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And so 
I have to ask how you, so you said you published the first edition, I think you said eight years ago. Yeah. How did you find yourself getting behind or championing this idea of, of noble purpose in business? Where did, where was the genesis? It was a study that I did for a biotech company. They asked us to study their sales team and they wanted to know what differentiated the top performers. And so we did a blind study. We went in the field and we worked with good performers and exceptional performers, but we didn't know who was who. And so we looked at all the things you can imagine how thrilled all the sellers were. (laughs) No doubt. Every salesperson (laughs) listening to this is going, oh God. But we went out, watched how many calls they make, how many questions they ask. We did interviews with them and we were near the very end of the study. And I was with this one representative in Phoenix, Arizona. I was sitting in her car about to get out in the blistering hot heat and hoof my way up to the terminal at the airport. And I just wanted to take a minute in that air conditioning. So I asked her a question. I said, what do you think about when you go on sales calls? And she said, well, I always think about this one particular patient. She said, as a grandmother, came up to me one day in a doctor's office. I'm wearing my company name badge. And she said, are you the rep for this drug? She said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, a little old lady looked up at her and said, well, I want to thank you for giving me my life back. Because prior to taking this, I couldn't go anywhere or do anything. And now that I've taken your drug, I can... I can fly across the country and visit my grandkids and get down on the floor and play with them. And so this sales rep says, well, you know, I think about her every day, rainy Friday afternoon, other reps go home, not me. She's my purpose. I think about her. And this was about 10 years ago. And when she was saying it, I could feel something in my heart shift. Right. And I had been a longtime sales trainer and I thought, this is different. This is that intangible thing. So I went back and I looked at all the other interviews for that sense of purpose. I found four other people that had it. One guy talked about his dad being a doctor. He just wanted to make the doctor's life easier. A couple other things. At the end, the biotech company said, who do you think our top reps are? I said, I think it's these five. And that's who they were. I was 100% right. (laughs) And I knew at that moment that I had spotted something, not just magical, but but I hoped scalable, something that was a real differentiator. And so the biotech, a bunch of scientists and finance guys said, well, how did you know? What was the difference? You know, because now they think I'm yeah. magic. Right. <laughs> and, I, and so this is 10 years ago. And so I said, well, you know, the top sellers, now that I know who they are, I said, they, they all have this different story in their heart. And so the finance guy, I love that, <laughs> you know, and they gave me a little more rope because I've just identified the top five <sighs> and I couldn't quite articulate it, but that was, I knew if we can bottle this, if we can scale it, if we can teach it, we can create magic. And it only took a scant decade later. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, when you think about human motivation in general, you know, I, I think of, I think it was Daniel Pink's work on Dan Pink, autom- yeah. Yeah, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. purpose yeah. And that purpose is the one that when it comes up, it is the hardest one for people to authentically put their arms around and express, in my experience. They may yeah. have it. But to share it sometimes is a, is, is a level of vulnerability that if we go back to that sales structure where it's close it, close it, close it, it's not necessarily the most welcoming environment for those that's types right. of conversations. And that's and so, why we have to change that. Yeah, it becomes a self-fulfilling and it, prophecy. And it also, I do want to be clear. So I first discovered this in this setting where they were selling drugs that save people's lives. 
But what we've since found out is we have it in a concrete company. We have it in a plumbing company. Uh, we have it in a bank. And if you think banking, concrete, and plumbing are not noble purposes, just try living your life without them. Right. See how far you get. So, you know, one of our clients is Dave and Busters. We champion laugh out loud fun. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be curing cancer. Right. And, and so what we find is when you can establish an organizational purpose that goes beyond, we want to be the number one provider, be a good community citizen, be good to our employees, blah, 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 blah. When you can have clarity about here is how we are making a difference to customers, that gives everybody something to rally around because- yeah. People want, once we get beyond food and shelter, people want belonging and significance. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And so one of the things I always say is revenue is not the purpose of a sales force. It is the test of its validity. The purpose Ooh. of a sales force is to improve life for customers. And when like you're doing it. that, the revenue is the proof. Yeah, I like it. I love it. It's a great perspective, one I, one I could not be more on board with, and, and I think more people need to embrace. Let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions at the end of each interview. The first is simply, as, a, as an author, as a, a revenue executive yourself, that makes you a prospect for sales <laughs> professionals out there. And I'm always curious to know, if somebody doesn't have that trusted in, that referral into you, how do they capture your attention and earn the right to your calendar? What do you find works best for you? So I can tell you that what works best for me is the same thing we teach our clients. You have got to have some meaningful content that shows me your point of view with no pressure. Love it. So don't be saying, hey, I can help you do this. On, on your first, you know, email or in mail, you know, that's like saying, Hey, I'd make a great husband. Want to go out on a date? It's <laughs> yeah, exact same analogy. <laughs> yeah. Instead, and every company should be doing this. And even if your company's not, you can do it on your own with a blog post, or you can even find something, but find something that says, I looked at your business and I thought this would be helpful to you. Yep. And so help me first. And especially now when everyone is, you know, zoomed out, uh, <laughs> calendars are full, you're having to compete for Wi-Fi with, you know, your kids and, and you know, who are, oh, mom, my Zoom's not working. I mean, uh. be like your customers are in a spot now. And so be helpful first. Give before you try to get. Yeah, I love it. And 100% again, agree. So last question, call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing, just if you had only one piece of advice you could give to sales, marketing, or, or professional services piece of people, one piece of advice that if they listen to, uh, you believe would help them hit their targets, what would it be and why? Identify very specifically, logistically, psychologically, and emotionally how you make a difference to customers. Be really clear on the impact that you have on customers and look to bring, to find more places to do that. The second part is important. Find more ways to do that. Not tell them in the first <laughs> sentence, but find more ways to do that because selling with noble purpose is about bringing the money and the meaning together. 
it doesn't mean you're just doing charitable work. It means at the center of your commercial model, you have absolute clarity about how you improve life for customers. You're excited about it and you're looking for more places to do that, to show up as the biggest, boldest, most helpful version of yourself you can possibly be. That will move the needle for you. I love it. I love it. Lisa, if a listener's interested in talking more about these topics or getting a copy of the book, where do you prefer we send them? How do we have them get in touch with you? Sellingwithnoblepurpose.com. You can get a copy of the book there or uh, connect with us. Follow us. Follow me on LinkedIn. And we do a LinkedIn Live every Friday at 1.30. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're interested in us consulting with your company or we've got a 90-day sales transformation process, ping me on LinkedIn and we will jump right on it. Awesome, Lisa. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. I'm glad to be with a, like, a like-minded sales driver. <laughs> All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. Check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. Let your kids listen to it if you need to distract them for a little while in the current environment. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.